pandemic has exposed the injustice to privatized, outsourced and commodified public services, as well as inadequacy of our social economic system to deal with mass job losses emerging from national lockdowns. Governments have allowed large monetary stimuluses through different central bank conventions. Meanwhile, the often overlooked local and regional governments have played an important role as emergency first responders, serving both people and communities. Will governments once again start seeing public services as an investment rather than liabilities? Will the neoliberal ideology lose currency and open up for policy innovation, as we have seen historically in responses to both the Great Depression of the 1930s and the Great Stagnation of the 70s? Dieter Pleve, research fellow at WCB, Berlin Social Science Center, and Miriam Katzin, activist doctor from Lund University in Sweden, addresses the challenges and possibilities in building a more equal economy and society in the wake of the crisis. This is the fourth event. This is the fourth event in a series of five online debate meetings addressing the arising economic crisis relating to the ongoing corona pandemic. This podcast is a segment of the online debate organized by the Danish DEO and the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung. For the full event, follow the link within the description to the DEO YouTube channel. Enjoy! Thanks a lot for offering this opportunity to share some of the work and the thoughts um, around the really important questions we're dealing with. Yeah, how to deal with the with some of the most significant social and political questions of our age in eight minutes uh, that we are given to talk here. We better do not waste time asking the key questions, I say. Is this indeed the time to move that we will move beyond privatization and commercialization of critical services from care to public health to transportation, education, and so on, in light of the multiple crises uh, of the COVID pandemic and catastrophic warming? Or do we have to brace ourselves yet for another return of austerity and growing pressure on public finance, leading to another round of privatization and cutbacks in such essential services, like it happened in the aftermath of the global financial crisis and the euro crisis back in 2008? The pandemic led to increasing levels of government action and spending, the return of the state, as many say, which led observers to emphasize the fundamental if crisis, if not the end of neoliberalism again. It is unclear, however, uh, if we need to talk about yet another crisis within the neoliberal era, or if we can indeed speak about the beginning of some post-neoliberal time. I have uh, co-edited a number of books on neoliberalism um, in which we have repeatedly warned against um, superficial observations, somewhat superficial observations pertaining to the demise of neoliberalism. A common misunderstanding of neoliberalism thinks of this ideology as market radicalism and rigid anti-state philosophy, which ignores the extent to which neoliberalism relies on government and government interventions just with its own set of objectives. So it's basically sometimes the danger to fall victim to the 
neoliberal rhetoric to sort of like ideological rhetoric rather than um, a critical analytical perspective of neoliberal politics um, that needs to be uh, done. First speculations about the end of neoliberalism um, have been voiced, in fact, at the end of the Thatcher and Reagan and the Cole government years. Um, back then, new labor governments across Europe uh, declared their opposition to neoliberalism, identified basically with these conservative governments, but ushered in unprecedented neoliberal welfare reforms, as we know, expanding cheap service sector labor markets, even in highly regulated countries, uh, and creating the growing army of working poor and marginalized working, class, working classes, frequently with a large share of female and ethnic minority workers, even in highly uh, densely uh, trade unionized countries like Sweden um, or Germany, as a matter of fact. Um, secondly, the brief period of international monetary cooperation and fiscal expansion, the return of Keynesianism after the global financial crisis for the brief period of two years, led many again to announce the death of neoliberalism only to return with the harshest austerity measures we have seen in countries hit hardest by the crisis not of their own making uh, in Southern Europe, for example. Thirdly, COVID and the climate crisis have clarified beyond doubt the many shortcomings of downrun public services and commercialized and privatized public health and care sectors. The extraordinary crisis measures taken to fight the pandemic are once again seen to provide the evidence not only for the limits of the neoliberal order, but for its imminent demise. Yet can we be sure only because the increasing clarity with which we observe the capitalist irrationality and irresponsibility of the neoliberal order, both domestic, European and globally, it does not have to become subject to terminal contestation. Neoliberals, in fact, try, even in the present time, to use the COVID crisis and the climate crisis to advocate the removal of restrictions on technology and regulations in the name of innovation and risk-taking, for example. We also see an expansion of think tanks and other capacities of neoliberal forces um, around the world, like the Atlas Economic Research Network, um, which grew after the global financial crisis from 200 think tanks to almost 500. Um, so we need to look at the sort of like forces, the activities that are going on there. Um, it will take still a while, I'm arguing, that we can assess indeed if we um, can speak about a turn against neoliberal ideas of this time, or if we will again return to the neoliberal normal, no matter if democratic or more authoritarian. Saying this, I do not want to naturalize uh, neoliberal dominance, if not hegemony, nor do I want to ignore contradictions and openings for alternatives at evidence in some of the present political struggles and battles in Europe and beyond. Instead of speculating about it, we should focus, however, on key struggles and contestations of the neoliberal past and present that seem to not go away quickly. We need to develop a keen sense of direction from these observations in the effort to indeed overcome uh, neoliberal varieties of capitalism. And one of the key struggles, of course, of, um, um, of neoliberals against 
social democrats, socialists, and so on, um, and social liberals. And then later, nowadays, of the trade unions and the social movements against neoliberalism was around privatization, of course. A central objective of the welfare state developed after World War II can be described as decommodification of certain areas, the removal of certain areas of life from the principles of the market and profit-making. Far short of socialism, mind you, um, this welfare these welfare regimes expanded the range of public services in which private enterprise activities were limited, tightly regulated, or excluded. And public health and care, transportation, education, and other infrastructure services then became the kind of dominant aspects of the mixed economies we had at the time and that were rolled back the kind of non-commercial uh, areas of the economy were rolled back in, neoliberal, in the neoliberal era. Neoliberalism is a program of commodification and marketization and profit-making, of course, but for which the government control, a lot of government control is needed and required. Um, I'm just sort of like offering a few glimpses of sort of like dimensions of the privatization uh, developments where we can see this is all stock taking in OECD material where we can see that uh, all over the OECD and other countries, uh, there was a huge increase um, in privatization. And of course, these figures relate to a number of different uh, sectors. So they're basically across the board. Um, and we see also it's not necessarily steady. Sometimes the, uh, the figures go down and then maybe up again. And uh, so basically it's only clear that, um, again, sort of like the notion of uh, taking away from the private sector segments of economic activities, there was a huge increase of opening of space, of, private, uh, of public space for private sector activities. This is really relevant because um, this graph, very hard to see, uh, shows that 10 to uh, up to 15% uh, of the activities of, um, of, of GDP is made up of government, uh, uh, the use of public uh, services or the purchase of public services. So it's a huge part of the GDP that is basically um, um, works around uh, public services and basically all the purchased parts uh, is in fact then the public sector buying from private sector additional services. So of course, this is a major part of economic activities that can either be uh, kept in, in, public, in the public realm or can also be moved towards uh, commercialized services. Um, we see that of course, the countries you might have considered that the UK is very strong, but also France and Sweden. And actually in this graph, uh, it was Germany a little bit lower, but this refers to a relatively late 2006 to 2016 period of uh, privatization where the countries were, you have most cases of such things. And in fact, um, it is very important to realize that when Thatcher started to privatize, she used, she used Germany as an example because Germany had already privatized a lot in the 1950s, 60s. Um, important to the service sector, the, the, the care sector was the 1995 welfare reform in Germany, which introduced a new area of the welfare state, the old age care um, insurance scheme. 
but it removed at the same time the non-profit privilege the companies uh, were facing in the care and health service sector. So basically, the coal government at the time added a new layer to the welfare state, but at the same time transformed the welfare state into uh, sort of like an opening for commercial activities and thereby created the ambiguity of, you know, of companies, corporations in the service sector. Do they look at the bottom line mainly, profitability of the corporation, or do they look at uh, the, the best development of care? And I think it's important to emphasize that not necessarily the economizing in in the healthcare and the public, um, in the elderly care, is the trouble because it's actually not unreasonable to think about economic ways to do things. But it's the question if it's for profit, because that turns uh, another principle of, of objectives. So basically, the, the um, I think we will hear more uh, about the Swedish case in this regard. Now, of course, what happened in the last years um, is actually an interesting movement against many of these privatized outsourcing public-private partnership services. And we have one nice study from the TNI um, in, um, in the Netherlands on the battles over remunicipalizations of public services. And I thought this was highly interesting um, that um, Germany of all countries seems to have a very large number of such contestations. And of course, in Berlin with the um, with the effort to socialize the big real estate companies um, and so on, it's a good uh, case. Um, and of course, many of these uh, instances that were collected in this survey um, publication relate to the energy sector where a lot of uh, public utilities, local public utilities were basically taken back um, in public control in order to advance the um, the renewable energy share. And so, uh, but also apart from uh, these areas, there's also cleaning services um, and other uh, previously outsourced and privatized um, elements of public services. It's basically, um, I mean, it's really one of the clear examples where I see that um, neoliberalism is contested in a strong way. I mean, we see on the one hand, the dimension of previous privatization, and we see the beginning or not only just the beginning now, of a kind of a strong bottom-up movement in many places against um, these privatizations. And um, actually, this is a little bit promising in terms of indeed moving against neoliberalism because uh, in this process, like in the also the hospital sector struggles we recently had here in Berlin, we see also a, a very strong reunionization of the workforces um, that are so, sort of like struggling there. 2,000 new um, union members in the Verdi Union just in the last uh, round of strikes in the Berlin hospital sector. And so this is exactly the kind of um, conflict situation we see that we have the beginning of uh, a stronger movement uh, for taking back some of the public sector control in these areas that have been privatized, which of course also opens up stronger uh, say for the organized workers for the workforces in these companies and the public direction. I mean, we can see that the stock taking shows it's not it's uneven across the countries. Uh, so there's a lot of room also. So the end of neoliberalism would probably require us to see many, many more of these battles. But at least on the other hand, we see these kind of um, mobilizations that, of course, then might also be connected um, across the different issue areas where they 
they uh, come up across the countries and um, then also basically across the scales of government because much of the activity is here local rather than uh, national. And so there's a need, of course, to connect the, the spheres. Sorry for taking a little bit too long. Uh, yeah, let me first uh, start by thanking Dieter. And I think uh, my argument really relates to your argument about how neoliberalism re um, relies on government. And uh, I really appreciated your point of uh, not falling back into uh, anti-neoliberal uh, rhetoric, but rather have a critical analysis of the empirical cases. And that is what I've tried to do in my study. So um, my presentation will focus on um, the pre and post corona debates around welfare in Sweden, basically. Uh, let me share so um, elder care is uh, the focus of my study that's the case home care services for for elderly and I think uh, during the pandemic the elder care services of, in Sweden were um, on the international agenda because uh, of the high debt tolls in, in Swedish elder care. Uh, unfortunately, my study was done just prior to the pandemic, so I cannot really relate uh, direct, uh, directly to uh, what happened in the elder care during the pandemic. But um, I think there are uh, a lot of uh, general points to be made where Sweden is an interesting case, uh, where Sweden has uh, for decades been known as uh, a robust welfare state um, with a very ambitious uh, welfare services for uh, for pr people, um, especially I think in the care sector and elder care sector, uh, it's an ambitious uh, and high quality service for all, uh, which is internationally unique. At the same time, and and here is where I think uh, Dieter's point really uh, goes a long way. There is also um, a large uh, bulk of this sector is now privatized. And I think, and that is uh, uh, the reform that has created that situation is uh, the reform I um, study in my uh, um, dissertation from last year. And also I will send you the link. So if you want to read it, it's online. Uh, so uh, one of the arguments that I make in my uh, thesis is that uh, Swedish neoliberalism is not an example of what uh, David Harvey has called it, the circumscribed neoliberalism, meaning neoliberalism that hasn't gone as far. I would rather argue that uh, it's, it's not that it hasn't gone as far, it has just taken another route and this route is not deregulation, it's not uh, privatization of uh, responsibility or financing, but it's reconfigured and it's, an, it's a different balance uh, between the public and the private sector. Um, and I mean, uh, so the Swedish welfare state is built on Swedish social democracy and, and that project was uh, all the time uh, built on a compromise between state and capital. And this is just a new configuration of that uh, balance is my um, main theoretical argument, you could say. But um, I think uh, 
if you look at what actually happened, you could see that it's an introduction of public-private partnerships and quasi-markets uh, where the state or uh, the municipalities uh, are very active in creating uh, these uh, quasi-markets and creating and supporting market actors. So what I empirically show in my study is that the municipalities uh, that I study that have introduced care choice system, meaning invited private uh, companies that are tax paid, uh, but deliver the, uh, the service to older people in need of assistance. Uh, the municipalities are very active in supporting. Uh, so there's a lot of funding going into not only uh, financing the service, but also supporting and controlling uh, the private actors within the sector. Uh, so uh, what we can see is that it hasn't, th there's no less affair here. It, it hasn't moved back into the homes. I mean, that has happened, but it, that's only a part of the story. It's, it's much more that the delivery of services are now, um, it, uh, services are now delivered by private, private actors. And, um, uh, since there's also no cap on profit, uh, it's a large market for venture capitalists, the Swedish care market. Yeah, as I said, there are a few regulations of profit in the welfare sector. And uh, I mean, this is a long trajectory that just as Dieter uh, described, started in the 90s. But it took a, a large step forward uh, during the uh, right-wing Reinfeldt government of 2006 to 2014, uh, where also this, um, it, it's a, it, it was a search of privatizations that I think changed the nature of the Swedish welfare state in a, in a way that has not really been internationally recognized uh, to the extent that uh, it, it actually should have, um, considering uh, to the de degree uh, in which it changed. Um, but uh, this, this came with a, a large reaction um, and in the election of 2014, the Swedish left party, uh, that was their main issue to uh, have a, a debate um, uh, to, to um, uh, set a cap uh, to regulate the welfare sector. Um, and um, uh, and it was also a very strong uh, opinion, public opinion, uh, towards this. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no, I mean, basically, there's no such restriction. I mean, I think that's interesting if there's um, countries uh, that have specific rules on profitability from uh, these sectors, which is at least one way to address this. But in, in Germany, the removal of the not-for-profit privilege in the sectors uh, has basically opened them up to simply to the normal rules that uh, that count for all companies. Childcare, schools, elder care, uh, there is a very limited regulation uh, in welfare overall. And I think uh, that's, that, that is what makes Sweden extreme. No, so what happened was that the uh, very well-organized Swedish business community uh, lobbied very strongly against this. And since the public, uh, even though the public opinion was largely in favor of uh, such a regulation, um, 
the government lost because it was a minority government. Uh, they lost uh, uh, when they tried to regulate it, and uh, then the debate has uh, has really um, been hard to fight. But maybe uh, the Corona crisis has opened a new uh, frontier here. And uh, one of the things that has happened, and I guess has happened globally, is that uh, uh, care workers uh, and their um, conditions have been at the center in a whole new way. And in Sweden, um, the for a while, the conditions of the elder care which had been a scandal since forever, uh, were finally making headlines. Um, and people were in a whole new way uh, becoming aware of the, of the status of, of the elder care and the conditions that people are working in. So one of the things that has happened as a direct effect of this is that um, national regulation and funding um, has moved forward pretty quickly. And one of the things that are being funded is a professionalization of elder care. So now many more will uh, be educated within the sector. However, it's uh, municipally regulated uh, to a large degree, municipally financed. And that is one of the difficulties. So decentralization has also been a, a large issue on the agenda. And I think decentralization has happened for several reasons within Sweden. So lo local government has always been strong, and has always been a, a strive towards decentralization, which has also been a, a question of democratization. But it has, on the other hand, go, uh, gone hand in hand with a new public management agenda. And um, a, the, decent, the strong decentralization has also been um, a condition for uh, this privatization of delivery. Now it's just taken one step further and, and control is given uh, from municipalities to private actors. It's really, really difficult for central government to, uh, to govern what happens uh, on the floor in the elder care sector. Uh, so this is also much more debated now. Um, uh, another question which has been on the agenda is whether or not uh, the profit-driven uh, care institutions have had higher death tolls. Um, and uh, when looking at the nursing homes, um, there are things that point uh, in both directions, both that there is no difference and that there might be a difference. Um, and one uh, interesting point that is being made is that in munici municipalities with high prioritization, death toll uh, amongst elderly overall has been higher. I mean, that's very tragic, but it's, it, it's not, still not really um, empirically uh, looked into whether, why it's like that. Um, but it, it's, when you have looked into, when you have studied this sector, it's pretty easy to understand how uh, a lot of um, not so serious actors uh, that are very difficult for the municipalities to govern uh, ca cannot have been the best care, care services uh, for the elderly during the, the pandemic. But uh, it, it's a very, it's, uh, it would be very interesting to, to look closer into it. Uh, but but that is also a debate that is taking place, and uh, that 
uh, I, I hope will uh, push uh, the agenda here. And uh, another parallel debate that does not really um, relate to the pandemic, but is also happening now, is about the uh, uh, the difficulty to get rid of uh, fraudulent and even criminal uh, actors within the sector. So there's a, a, a new book which is also, uh, I hope, will uh, get even more attention than it has, called the Home Care Mafia. That. Uh, discusses how much uh, um, the municipalities fight uh, pure criminal elements within the home care sector. Uh, so that there are things, it's really, um, when it comes to the welfare sector, uh, there are really things move, on the move right now. But it's, I think also it's very important for um, uh, the, the left party and uh, the left movement not to lose its grip uh, on this particular situation, and especially when it comes to the conditions for care workers and, and the status, basically, of, uh, of these welfare services. This is the fourth event in a series of five online debate meetings addressing the arising economic crisis relating to the ongoing corona pandemic. In cooperation with the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung and the left parties in Germany, Sweden and Denmark, DEO seeks to map out strategies, opportunities and dilemmas for the left. This project is sponsored by the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, a German political foundation closely linked to Die Linke, the German left party. This podcast was produced by Hakuna Matata Production and was sponsored by Setkin Foundation.